continue in our worship of this God through the preaching of God's word. Pastor Kevin is continuing our series through the life of Abraham. And so I want to read our passage for this morning, which is found in Genesis chapter 13. And so I want to encourage you to get out your copy of God's words uh, to follow along. And it will also be in your bulletin as well. But Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 5, it says this. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered with the garden of the, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. If you will bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are indeed the same God. The, the God of Abram that we study this morning, the God who worked great salvation for his people in Egypt, the God who loved us enough to come and step down into creation to die for us, to reconcile sinners to yourself through the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for your consistency, for your faithfulness. Lord, let it stir our hearts to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, that in it we can find the words that lead to true life, and so, Lord, we pray for Pastor Kevin as he preaches your word faithfully that you'd give him clarity of mind. And, Lord, we pray for ourselves, Lord, that as we engage with your word, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are ready to be shaped and molded and conformed into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ryan, and thank you for joining us in worship today. Uh, before we begin with the sermon, I'm going to ask Micah Moore if he would to come and join me here at the front. Uh, if you've been around Northway for a while, you know that a month ago, our former worship pastor, Eric Hayes, left uh, to go to a church that God had called him to in Iowa. I bet he is really cold uh, right now. Um, <clears throat> and a year ago, we brought Micah on as an assistant in our worship ministry area. And so uh, several of us gathered together, our personnel team and members of our worship team. And we, this past week, uh, made an offer and he accepted the offer for Micah to become our next <laughs> worship pastor. <laughs> um, so I was actually going to pray for him and then tell you to clap, but you guys are so excited. You, 
jumped on it. Um, I, I will tell you that there are times that we really struggle with knowing God's will. It takes a good bit of time and discussion and prayer to know it. This was not one of those times. Uh, we met with the team on Sunday night. We interviewed Micah, and it was just super clear. Uh, several of the worship team members were, they're still back there uh, on stage. They were part of this search process. They have so thoroughly enjoyed working with Maya, uh, Micah. He is um, uh, just clearly been called by God into this role, and we are very excited. So let me take a moment uh, and to uh, just pray for him, if you would join me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the chance to partner in ministry. Uh, we thank you for Micah and what you've done in his life as an individual in bringing him uh, to Northway and this opportunity that we have uh, to partner with him in reaching our city for the gospel. Lord, we pray for your protection over him. We pray that as he worships you, that we would simply uh, follow his leadership. Uh, and Lord, that you continue to pour out your blessings on his life and that he would be a teacher of us of how we can better worship you. And Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, man. You. All right. <laughs> Clap again. Uh, so today you can see that we are continuing our series on Abraham called Developing a Faith for All Seasons. And so if you've been here with us, we've been talking about how it is easy to worship God, to follow God, to trust in God when things are going well. When finances are good and our health is good and our relationships are good, it is easy to say in those times, hey, God, I trust you. I believe in you. My faith in you is strong. But when things go south, when finances aren't so good, or we get the bad health report, or there are family dynamics that are not good. It is difficult in those times for our faith to be strong. And when our faith is weak, and the circumstances of life come crashing down around us, oftentimes we will fall apart, or we will become depressed, or we will see our lives just sort of dissolve into a, 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 this state of weak, weak faith, when our faith is not strong. And so in this series, we're talking about how can we develop a faith for all seasons, through the highs and the lows of life. And so the first week, we saw how God called Abraham to leave the land where Abraham was living and to go to this land that God would show him. And so Abraham exhibited this incredible faith. He did exactly as God had told him to do. I want you to leave all that's familiar to you and to go to this unknown place, this place I will show you. And Abraham so trusted the Lord that he said, absolutely, God, you say it and I will do it. But then he got to Canaan and when he did, there was a famine in the land and there were enemies in the land. And suddenly his circumstances caused his faith to go weak. And so Abraham went to Egypt, which was his first mistake. He was not staying in the place where God said, here's where I want you to be. He left. He went to Egypt, which was bad enough. But then on the way to Egypt, he came up with this scheme that he created to protect his own life. And that was to tell his wife to say, hey, tell them you're my sister not my wife. He thought it would save his life. It created all kinds of problems. Everything was, was um, going wrong for Abraham. And so eventually he left. He went back to Canaan. 
to where God told him to go. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he worshiped God. And he repented of his sin. My guess is that altar uh, that he built and where he worshiped was a place where he did a lot of confession and a lot of thanking God for saving his life. And so last week we, we concluded with this. When we stray away from God, when we really blow it, when we go down the wrong path, there is only one right response. That is to repent, to return to the place that God would have us to be in the first place. Like Abraham, to worship the Lord, to repent and turn back to God. Today we are looking at this major, major ingredient in our faith. Uh, today we are looking at this aspect of life that if we will be intentional about doing this, it will grow our faith in God tremendously. There's this tremendous truth that is found in scripture, this, this major truth that if you will spend time with, if you will hang out with, if you will surround yourself with people who have a strong faith in the Lord, then your faith will be strong as well. Why is that? Because relationships are extremely powerful. Your relationships in life and my relationships in life will have a huge impact on our walk with the Lord, which is exactly what we saw in the passage that Ryan read earlier. Uh, Abraham, when he returned to Canaan, he set up an altar there, and then this is what happened next. Verse 5. Now Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, who was with him, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed there, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at this time. And so last week we saw how Abraham concocted this scheme to tell the Egyptians that Sarah was his sister, not his wife, and how out of that sin, Abraham became extremely wealthy. Wealth in that day was mainly measured by livestock. And he was given sheep and cattle and all kinds of gold and silver. He acquired great wealth for telling a lie. For sinning, and, and we read that and thought that doesn't really fit with how we think God should act. Maybe I should sin greatly, and oh, maybe God will make me extremely wealthy. Except last week we talked about how these uh, gifts that Abraham received would later create major problems for Ab Abraham. All the gifts that he got would later become these heavy burdens around his neck. And here, in the very next chapter, here is an example. Abraham had great wealth, again, mainly measured by livestock. Lot, Abraham's nephew, also had his own livestock, though likely not as much as what Abraham possessed. And so at first glance, you read this, and it sounds like a pretty good situation. These two rich guys sitting around, talking about all the money that they have, Everything seems fine except fighting or quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. The land simply could not support 
all the animals and all the people who needed food and water. And so this division happened between Abraham and Lot. By the way, this was a division that lasted for centuries. The descendants of Lot would become two different people groups, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And those people groups would be uh, enemies of the Israelites for centuries and centuries to come. Right now in my personal quiet time, I'm reading through the book of Nehemiah. And just this past week, as I was reading through Nehemiah, I came across this individual called Tobiah the Ammonite. Tobiah the Ammonite was a thorn in Nehemiah's side. As the Jews are trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, Tobiah the Ammonite wants to stop them. Every step of the way, he tries to cause trouble for Nehemiah and all of the Jews. And as I read that passage, I thought about what I was going to preach on today. Tobiah the Ammonite is trying to do harm to the Israelites. This division that happened between Abraham and Lot would last for centuries to come. And it was caused by money, by wealth. I mean, wealth can do so much good, but it doesn't take a lot to look around and know that it can also create all kinds of problems. It doesn't take much for the money that we own to flip and own us. Marriages have been dissolved over money. Friendships have been destroyed because of money. Family relationships have been divided over money, just like in the case of Abraham. They knew they could not stay in the same location. The land wouldn't support them. So Abraham makes this offer. Verse 8. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Here Abraham does what is exactly right. Instead of making demands or asserting his rights, he says, hey, I will give you whatever it is that you want. We need to split up. You go one way, I'll go the other way. You decide where you want to go. You see, I think Abraham had learned a valuable lesson in the last chapter. He went to Egypt and he acted in a selfish way out of his own self-interest. He created this lie to try to save his life. And he learned a lesson. And so he gets back here to Canaan and he says to Lot, instead of acting out of my own self-interest, I am going to look for, to your needs and your interests. So you do what you think is best and I'll go the other way. Whichever way you go, I'll go in the opposite direction. Abraham's heart was in the right place. Lot's was not. Verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. 
parenthetically, this is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. So the Jordan River Valley is the land that lies on either side of the Jordan River in between the Sea of Galilee to the north and the Dead Sea to the south. It is this fertile valley that lies in this warm tropical climate and it is the perfect place for growing produce, especially dates. Uh, even today, there are lots of farms there with date trees. When I was in Israel several, several years ago, I remember making the drive from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, and you just saw grove after grove of these date palm trees uh, all along the Jordan River there. This was an ideal place to settle. It was very fertile land. It would have been the perfect place for someone to go except... Except settling in that land meant moving right next door to some very wicked people. Here it says that Lot set out toward the east. In the book of Genesis, there is this connection between physically traveling to the east and spiritually spiritually moving away from God. Whenever you see that phrase, and they moved east, that means they are moving away from God. For example, Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve rebel against God, it says that God drove out the man, and at the east side of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So the Garden of Eden was to the west. Man was pushed to the east. Then Cain and Abel come along. Cain murders Abel. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So God is to the, uh, to the west in Eden. Cain went to the east. Then you get to chapter 11, and it's the story of the Tower of Babel. And it says, as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And this was man's attempt to, to be greater than God by building this tower. Every time you read that phrase and they travel east, it means they are moving spiritually away from God. So when you get to this passage and read it along and it says that, that Lot set out toward the east, that raises a red flag. Uh-oh, we've got problems. Lot's going east, that's not good. Headed out towards the east means that something that, is, that Lot is doing is not going to be honoring to God. And just in case there's any doubt that this was a bad decision, the next two verses tell us a little bit more about it. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The land was good and fertile, 
but the people who lived there were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot knew that, but still he made the decision to pitch his tents to set up residence right next door to Sodom. Turns out this was a really, really bad decision. To put himself and his family this close to people who did not follow the Lord and had no interest in following the Lord. And as a result, Lot's life suffered, his own faith grew weak, and as he embraced this wicked culture, it would later bring tremendous pain and heartache to him and to his family. Here's what I want us to see today. Our closest relationships, my closest relationships, your closest relationships play a huge role in either growing your faith in God and making it stronger or to your detriment, diminishing your faith in God and making it weaker. Relationships play such a vital, big role in our faith journey that I would say this. It is impossible to spend the majority of your time with people who are far from the Lord and for you to remain close to God. In other words, let me say it this way. You can't live in Sodom long without pretty soon having Sodom live in you. You can't live in Sodom for too long without very soon having Sodom live in you. If you surround yourself with those who are not pursuing Jesus, then after a while, guess what? You will quit pursuing Jesus. Now, that's the negative But the converse is also true, and this is the great news. If you really, really want to develop a strong faith in God, if that is a goal that you have, if you desire to have this really strong faith and this really close walk with the Lord, then guess what? Here is an easy step to take. Surround yourself with people of great faith. Be in the company of those, hang out with those, surround yourself with those who are pursuing Jesus, and as you do that, it will make your faith stronger. Let me give you several ways this is the case. This is on your message map. First of all, relationships will shape my thinking. Proverbs 3.20 reads this way. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Now this verse was written by King Solomon, the third king over Israel, considered to be, except for Jesus, considered to be the wisest man who has ever lived. And Solomon observed this truth about life. If you spend time with, if you hang out with, if you do life with those who are wise then you'll become wise. However, spend time with, hang out with, do life with those who are fools, then you will suffer harm. Now, according to the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, 
there are two defining characteristics of a fool. Uh, Number one is a fool despises God. Uh, That individual may or may not believe in God. They're not necessarily atheists, perhaps, maybe, maybe not, but they despise God even if they believe in the reality of his existence. They will say, whatever it is that God says, I don't care. I don't care about God. I don't care what God says. I just do not care. The first characteristic of, of a fool is they despise God. The second characteristic of a fool, and you see this throughout Proverbs, is they despise instruction. The fool will say, I don't care what God says, and I don't care what anybody else says as well. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what the authorities say. I don't care what the Surgeon General says. What business does he have anyway telling me what I can or can't put in my body? I don't care. A fool despises God and despises instruction. And so with that in mind, here's what Solomon says. You spend time with those who despise God and despise instruction, and guess what? You will suffer harm. And you'll begin to view God like those who are fools view God. Now, that's the negative. Here's the positive. Walk with the wise, and you will become wise. You'll learn how to make wise decisions. Your view of God will be a wise view of God. Your thinking will change based on those with whom you are spending your time. Here's what this means. Hang out in Sodom, and Sodom will start hanging out in you. And you'll view the world around you, and you will view God like those who live in Sodom view God and view the world. But spend time with those who love Jesus. Hang out with, do life with those who are pursuing Jesus, and you will start to view God and view the world like those who love Jesus. Why? Because relationships have that much impact on our lives. Number two, relationships affect my thinking and they will shape my behavior. Psalm 119 says this, away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. This this is from King David, the second king over Israel. And King David made this observation that he, when he spent time with those who were evildoers, that he himself had trouble keeping the commands of God, that his relationships affected his behavior. And those who violated God's commands would influence David to do the same. And so David here wisely says, I need to put distance between me and those who do not follow God's commands. I simply cannot spend a whole lot of my time with that crowd. Now, my guess is if I sat down with you and I said, I want you to tell me the two or three worst decisions you've ever made in your life. Tell me the decision that you made that you look back on and you're like, yeah, that was bad. 
I mean, I, I broke God's laws, and I probably broke some state or local laws. As well. I mean, it was bad. It was just really awful. I should never have made that decision or those decisions. If I sat down with you and I asked you to describe for me one, two, three of the worst decisions you have ever made, and then I asked you this question, who were you spending time with during that phase in your life? My guess is it would not be with those who are really chasing hard after Jesus. My guess is your relationships that, that were most influential on your life were with those who were not following after God. Why? Because relationships are that powerful. And you spend time with, you hang out with, uh, you live right next door to Sodom, you're going to start behaving like Sodom. Number three, relationships shape my deeply held beliefs. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 33. These are words of Paul. He wrote, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, if you're in a home team and you've already read the chapter for today, you've seen the background on this verse. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth was part of the Roman Empire, but Corinth was thoroughly Greek in its background. And the Bible teaches us, and Paul taught, that for all of us, there will come a day, if you are a follower of Christ, that you will receive a resurrected body. It is a physical body. Will not suffer. You'll experience no pain in this body. You will get out of bed in the morning and there won't be the creaks and the groans as you take those first steps. It will be wonderful to have this body. It will feel like you felt at 18. If you're not at 18 yet, it will feel like you feel right now. This physical resurrected body is, is very real and it is one that we are promised to receive for all who follow Christ. There were those in the church who had bought into the Greek teaching on the afterlife. And in Greek philosophy, everything that is physical is considered to be evil. And so they taught that Jesus was never physically resurrected because the physical is evil. And if Jesus was resurrected into a physical body, that would not correlate with what they believed in that the physical is evil. And they taught that we will not receive resurrected bodies that are physical, only spiritual, because to be released from evil uh, is to be released from the physical. And so Paul argues against that. And in the middle of this argument about the fact that we will receive a, a res physically resurrected bodies, Paul wrote these words. And do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. At first glance, you read those words and you think, Paul, you lost your train of thought, buddy. You're talking about the resurrection, about us receiving resurrected bodies, and then you go, oh yeah, by the way, remember, bad company corrupts good character. Why did Paul inject this sentence into a discussion about the resurrection? Now, if you've got a paper Bible with you, or maybe your digital Bible as well, if you look at the end of this verse, there is a footnote. And if you look at the bottom of the page, you'll see the reference for this footnote. Mine says this. 
that that phrase, bad company corrupts good character, is a saying of the Greek poet Menander. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you go, oh, great, that tells me exactly zero. You know, the Greek poet Menander, who was that? I had to do some research on this. Menander was a popular Greek poet and playwright during Paul's day. And this particular quote was from a play that, went, that was entitled Thais, T-H-A-I-S. It was a well-known play, and it was a story about a woman named Thais, who is a real historical character. And although the play was fictional, uh, the characters in the play were real, like a modern-day Hamilton. Real characters, the musical not so much. This quote was a popular quote from the play, and those who were reading the letter of Paul would have instantly recognized this quote. It's like if I said to you, there's no place like home. You would know right away where that came from, the Wizard of Oz. You would know, well, Dorothy said this phrase, and, and this quote is embedded in a larger story about a girl who has this dream that she goes to this mystical place called Oz. They instantly recognize the quote and the plot of this play. And that's why Paul used it in this passage. The main character of this play, Thais, was a companion of the Greek general Alexander the Great. And it, she was his companion during his invasion of Persia. And in the play, Alexander invades this town, this Persian, Persian city, and they capture the palace, and there they're having a party that night in the palace of the former king of this city-state. And the wine flows, and everyone's having a good time, and at some point as they're seated at dinner, Thais leans over and whispers into the ear of Alexander the Great, wouldn't it be fun to burn down this palace? Yeah, why not? That would be great entertainment. Let's just, let's just burn down the palace. And so Alexander agrees, and that night they set fire to this palace that could have been used for any number of things to help them in their battles. It could have been a, a, a base of operations. It could have been a headquarters for Alexander the Great. It could have been used for anything other than the night's entertainment of just watching a palace burn to the ground. It was an incredibly dumb decision by Alexander, and it was due to his companionship with Thais, who whispered in his ear and made this suggestion. Paul uses that quote to remind the Corinthians of this truth, that those who are closest to us will affect who we are, and even our deeply held beliefs. Even deeply held beliefs like things about, like the resurrection. They will affect what we hold dear in our hearts. If you surround yourself, if your closest friends are those who believe that the Bible is just another book, it's just a fictional account of some things that may or may not have occurred at some point in history. If it's just a book with some 
pithy little sayings? Yeah, if it's just some other book on the shelf that you can pick up and read and dismiss at will, if they believe that, that will become part of your DNA as well. If your closest friends say there's no such thing as absolute right and wrong, that what's good for you is good for me, that everyone must decide their own path, that tolerance is the highest virtue, that no matter what decision someone else makes, that we need to to affirm that decision is just as right and as good as any other decision. If that is the beliefs that they hold and you are close with these individuals, then those will become your beliefs as well. If you hang out in Sodom, Sodom's beliefs will start to hang out in you. Then finally, here's the last thing. We'll close with this. Relationships shape my spiritual progress. Notice what Paul wrote to the Romans. For I long to visit you so that I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Paul here writes this letter to to the Romans. He's in Corinth. He's planning to go to Rome. And he says, when I come to Rome, here's what I would like to see happen. I want to encourage your faith. And the great apostle Paul, who had tremendous faith in God, says to the Romans, and I want to be encouraged by yours as well. When we surround ourselves with those who have great faith, it will make our faith stronger. This is why last month we spent a whole lot of time saying to you, please get into a home team. Please join a home team. We want you to be in a small group. Here's why I believe with everything that is within me that if you will surround yourself with people who are pursuing Jesus and they are trying to grow in their faith, that it will grow your faith as well. So here's my charge to you today you signed up for a home team and more than a hundred of you signed up for the very first time to be in a small group way to go if you signed up to be in a home team this semester here's my charge to you go make sure you attend the meetings make it a priority to be there and here's why people in there are counting on you to encourage them in their faith and when you go your faith will be encouraged as well. If you want a strong faith in the Lord, if you will make this a priority, I promise you, I promise you that it will grow your faith.